when my sister and I were quite young, oh, 10, 11, 12, somewhere in there, my mother directed Really Rosie, and my sister Marina played Really Rosie, and I played a stagehand. This was the first time I was given responsibility like an adult in a theater company, making sure the sets got moved, and I felt like a million bucks. And of course, my sister Marina singing felt like a million bucks. We still have very close friends from that performance, from that time. That production was done by Little People's Repertory Theater, which has been going on for over 40 years in beautiful downtown Ben Lomond, California. For the last 20 years, Janine Chadwick has been writing and putting on these productions and has transformed this little tiny kids theater company into an extravaganza that represents the community in a way I've never seen. These shows are fantastic. Janine is pretty fantastic herself. Janine has a BA in human development and a master's in human development. She teaches at California State University, Monterey Bay and Cabrillo College, where she's been working for the last 20 years in early childhood development. And she has been living in Ben Lomond, raising her kids and creating a thriving summer program. My kids went through the program It's an amazing experience to let kids perform. And I decided I wanted to talk to Janine about why and what and how. So here is Janine Chadwick talking about Little People's Repertory Theater. One of the plays, one of the many plays that um, I have witnessed you create in the middle of, I don't know, probably opening day, we were running around, somebody was fixing some, you know, how it is at opening weekend of a play. It's really busy and lots of things are happening. There was some chaos happening that was kind of stressful. And I don't remember what it was. Maybe somebody was late or um, I don't know what it was, but it was some stress going on. A bunch of kids had lice or something, maybe. <laughs> sure. <laughs> what are the other things that happened exactly? Okay. <laughs> and I came over to you and you were just beaming. And I, I think I might have asked you a question about something problematic. Maybe the, maybe the uh, heater was failing, the air conditioning was failing, we were about to have an audience. And you, you were like, okay. You were very calm. Mm-hmm. And I said, like, everything going okay? And you said, you said something about how wonderful it was to watch these kids perform. And it just stuck with me. It's like, oh, yeah, right. Janine's doing this for a decade more. <laughs> How long have you been uh, doing LPRT, Little People's Repertory Theater? Like um, over 20 years. Um, I have been writing the plays for um, 22, 23 years. Yeah. Yeah. And more. Because how, how old are my kids? I don't know. 30. Henry's 30. Like, uh, yeah. So, I don't know. 30. uh 25, 24 years, maybe something like that. So a long time. And um, yeah, I think I'm finally, finally at the place where um, like what else could happen? You know, we've had COVID, we've had big giant set pieces fall. Uh, We had a bus fall on Christopher Levy when he was a boy. No, Like it was um, the wizard of, it was the wizard of Oz. And um, it was one of the first ones that we did. And we did like an Ozzy Osbourne theme. It was when Meet the Osbournes was a TV show at the time. And there was a bus 
And we had, at the time, we had Darren, my husband, and other construction, people in construction, I mean, we still kind of do, who were set building. They're, they're not like theater set builders. And so they're like super gung-ho about, yeah, let's make a bus and let's make a house that spins around. And they would like make them construction quality. <laughs> they built this gigantic, like heavy bus. And one performance, it fell onto oh. a child. Uh, no harm done. Uh, right. It was more, you know, yay, we're here. What could have been. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, you know, we've had, you know, we only had one year, which was the 2020 year where we couldn't perform live in the at Park Hall. Um, yeah. So there's there have been, it's kind of like the cliche, like the show must go on and it does. And even when we couldn't perform in the hall, we made a movie. And um, I just feel like it's um, watching the kids is the best thing ever. And I didn't know, like, I didn't know that would happen, you know, like when it was my kids and my kids were little and we've been doing this since my oldest, who is 33, something like, yeah, 32, 33, uh, since he was about eight years old, I'm not going to do math, but, you know, we started when we moved in and we missed the first play. So maybe he was nine when we started, but we came from, we were in Aptos and we heard rumors that in Ben Lomond, there was this amazing children's theater company that did um, these songs. They had Beatles songs in their musicals. And that was when Mary Lynn Painter was um, kind of running the, running the show. And my kids were crazy Beatle, Beatle freaks. They were only like eight and six and four, almost five. And they had just recorded, um, actually, if you, even though Henry Chadwick is a recording uh, a person in his own right with lots of CDs and albums, if you Google Henry Chadwick, the first thing that comes up, as much as he's tried over the years to like get rid of it, like the first thing that comes up is uh, a Beatles for kids and it's um, music for little people. And it's uh, the kids are on this compilation of children's songs, Beatles songs. And that was before we moved to Ben Lomond. So he, they're singing like, Oh, bloody, Oh, blah, da. And yeah. help for my friends and a few other things. And they're little cute, tiny voices. So they were obsessed with the Beatles when they were really little. And we came up here and we missed the first, um, like we got here at the end of July and the performances had just ended. So we couldn't wait to, you know, participate the next year. And so the first year that we got involved with LPRT or Little People's Repertory Theater, they were all little and I just couldn't believe what a cool thing it was or had potential to be. I'm just going to say like, all I could do was go, oh my God, if I was in charge of this, like I would do this and we could do this. And I had all these ideas. And then, you know, a few years later, I kind of got more and more involved. And um, as that would happen, you know, I just felt like, well, my kids are in it and I'm doing some music for it and this is so great. And then they can participate from like eight to, I think at the time it was seven or eight till 14. And those years went by and then, you know, everybody kept saying, oh, so now you're going to be through. So now your, your kids are graduating and you're going to be done. And I was like, no, <laughs> nah. And now like 
I have grandkids who are in the junior players and, and all these kids, it's like generations and generations and I'll be like the crazy old lady. Like, I guess I am who, like, I cannot see, uh, not stopping, not doing it because, yeah. um, people just come back or they stay or they, um, you know, I just, like, I just got a phone call from a college student who used to be in the cast and now she's, sophomore and she's out of state going to college and she called during her winter break just to secure a spot as a a, a employee for the summer and she asked about the play and we're doing the little mermaid variation this summer and she was in one the same one as your son as why it was in back in back in i don't know eight years ago seven years ago and She's so excited and just talking to her about the production and some of the songs that we're going to do. And she's so excited to come back. And like, I haven't been happier in months. Like it made me so happy just to project ahead to like this little space that is going to, it's going to happen. It always happens. And I'm lucky enough most of the time to have it happen with some of the same people that have been doing it, you know, since they were babies, like little children. It's amazing. What is it about watching seven to 13 year olds? We, the cutoff is high school. As soon as you go into high school, you can't do anymore. And then of course a year or two, and then you're back as a, as a instructor or whatever. What is it about that age that you enjoy watching? Uh, That's such a big um, loaded question for me personally. um, uh, There's a lot of things. I mean, I wrote my master's thesis on, um, the benefit of performing arts on, you know, school age children. So it's, it's an academic, it was an academic interest of mine, actually less so than me trying to just get my degree and find something that I was doing. That I could. Uh, but it was interesting and it was relevant at the time. Um, as a child, I wanted to be famous. Um, I wanted to be an actress. I, then I wanted to be a rock star um, I did theater until I was in high school and then it, it didn't, it wasn't, I'm putting this in air quotes, cool. Uh, it wasn't cool to me anymore. Um, but I, so there's kind of a mixture. Like I, I learned early on because I had sort of a non-traditional education and I'm kind of, uh, a non-traditional person, um, that, if you didn't fit in the mold, then you just make your own, uh, you make your own mold. And so even the theater that I did in middle school was, uh, we did a student written play, (laughs) two of them that I starred in. One of them, I love this name. It was called Julie, 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 exclamation point. And I was Julie. (laughs) And, um, the people who wrote it, I was, I didn't write it, but I started it. I think they wrote it for me and it was kind of like a gypsy style. I think gypsy was like playing and I grew up in Southern California. It was playing in LA at the time. And it was like the, tri- the trials and tribulations of a up and coming star. I don't know. Um, and then another one was called the unexpected. And that was another student written play that was like a murder mystery. And it was, I found the script during evacuation going through all my stuff and it was pretty good. Um, for middle schoolers. So I always, I had learned early on that you write your own songs, that you do your own stuff. And, um, 
So I part of like what I like about what we do is it's not just watching kids do adult theater or theater that's already been done. It's watching them and helping them find a way to be creative and to express themselves. And so I love individuality. I love helping them and supporting them and seeing who they are um, mm-hmm. and providing them a place where it's kind of safe to. So the thing, you know, about this is another quotes, theater kids um, or <laughs> most, most, I think all kids, if they were given an opportunity to just be who they are and express themselves and feel comfortable um, and be honored for their gifts, um, mm-hmm. I think most of them would be how we see theater kids. You know, whether it's um, if they have athletic ability or artistic ability or if they're science geeks or whatever they are, if they were appreciated and if they were given space to sort of express themselves and not be shut down, they would all, you know, kind of thrive. And so because I have a sense of humor and I love music and I'm going to say like not necessarily musical theater because I've never really been super into musical theater, Uh, being able to blend pop music and rock music and parody uh, with performing um, has sort of merged into what we do, which is different from just having kids get up there and do Annie or, you know, whatever, Oklahoma or whatever it is, because there's a lot of places for kids to do that. And I love watching those performances. I'm still a sucker for seeing kids do uh, traditional musicals. I love talent shows. I love um, ballet recitals. I love all of it. But, um, you know, what I think kids really like an opportunity to put themselves into it, um, to be a character. We let them do deep dives into um, a, a particular character, like when we did, we did Cinderacula, and they got to do research on Prince because our Prince was actually Prince, and so they watched you know Prince videos and got to parody you know. So there's just so some people won't know how you do this, but you'll take a traditional story like C- Cinderella mm-hmm. and w- you'll mix it with something one year contemporary in, in pop culture because it's really uh, interesting and great or because it makes sense to do it. So Cinderacula is taking Cinderella and monster stories and mix them together. So it has the feeling of Cind- Cinderella. There's definitely a Cinderella <laughs> character, but the actual narrative is much more like it's almost like a bunch of kids doing a doing something you invented. It has that feeling of yeah. kids at play yes. to it. Yeah. Is that what you go for? Uh, yeah. I mean, for I get lost in it. You know, it's for me, too. Like, that was the most fun for me. Um, you know, what can I... Is like, creating the story? Yeah. Like, the first thing I do, and I'm right in that spot right now where I just submitted final grades, and then it was the holidays because I, I teach... I teach at Cabrillo and I teach uh, at Cal State Monterey Bay. So I'm a professor. And um, once I'm done with work, um, I have a couple of weeks to kind of throw together ideas. Um, 
And the first thing I do is create the names of the characters. And it's just like play. I mean, it's just what I did when I was eight years old. And I would draw pictures um, of people and I would give them names and then I would give them a backstory. It's just that is it's the fun place to start, you know, with characters and names. And I'll research names and meanings of names. And like right now I'm doing like sort of a Greek mythology twist (coughs) on Little Mermaid Again, and I just spent last night kind of looking up um, Poseidon and all of Poseidon's children. And, you know, it's just nerdy and it inspires me to, like, make up characters and um, start from there and then find songs. At this point, it's songs that I've used, but then I also mix it in with new songs. So (laughs) this is like a trick of the trade. I don't even know if I should be revealing it, but... um, Maybe I won't. Um, so I'll find <laughs> Oh, tease. <laughs> I know. But I need to find songs that kids are going to, at least a couple of songs that kids are identifying with, and um, mm-hmm. they may not be my songs. Um, so there's a mixture of songs that kids are going to really like, and then songs that I've used before, and old people songs, and a little bit something for everyone. So then I'll start listening to music. And back in the day when we were commuting, uh, before we were working at home, I would just make a playlist and I would listen to it driving and words would... Back and forth to Cabrillo and... Yeah, and to, to Monterey, the Seaside. Yeah. And then I would just, you know, parody words would pop into my head. And, and sometimes I would just need a song um, or a style of song and listen to my playlist and kind of pop in parody words so uh, there's like a method now when, it's been so long yeah. when you're driving and you're listening to a song you're like oh this would work for yeah. <laughs> alice or something exactly. do you are you like grabbing a piece of paper or like how do you take a note or you just memorize it or you start singing along what do you do i remember i have a i have that kind of memory actually i, I don't really do paper sometimes i'll sometimes i'll make a siri note but um yeah and i'll just kind of hold on to it until i get to work and then i'll um you know make a an electronic note or something. I think I'm going to read some titles of some shows just to get people the feel of what you do. Cause they, they do tell a little bit now that you understand the idea of it. So, uh, the one that you actually had to film because of COVID was Alice's adventures in underland or were you, no, you were in person for Alice's adventures in underland. Oh, for Alice, Sin- we were in person. Yeah. Yeah. Sin Dracula and the camp, the campaign of unfortunate events, which of course is unfortunate events. And, uh, Cinderella and Dracula. <laughs> Pinocchio, a bot. Uh, can you say that one? Yeah, it was a Botrymian Rhapsody. Um, so we did it once before and it was a Bohemian Rhapsody. And then this one was robots. So yeah. Robot. And one of my daughters played a robot. Yeah. <laughs> Wild Things, Welcome to the Jungle Book. Peter Pamilton, which was fantastic and has a whole a Hamilton look to it. Great poster for that one uh-huh. dorothy potter and the wizard of oz which like why wouldn't you mix the wizard of oz and harry potter exactly fantastic so they go on and on and it's interesting I, i'm looking at lprt.org your website and it's got lots of them since 2001 uh posters and uh, it's a center to the town that i think of as home ben Loman. and of course, I've also grew up in the theater. And when I was 13, I was in LPRT, but it was much before <laughs> you started running it. <laughs> um, it's always, and that was when Marilyn Painter, I think, was involved. And, and my mother, I think, directed that. The, the experience of performing as a younger kid 
recently my daughter, um, Gwendolyn, who's graduated from the program, she said to me, oh, was I any good in these shows? Are these shoes, shows good? <laughs> and it was like that question of, you know, what she's going to study in college or whatever. It was kind of an, a large metaphysical question, esoteric question. And I was like, well, yes, I mean, they're fantastic. But in that way of yes, and they're fantastic was a story there that she was poking at. Are these good? You know, with this idea that you've got to relate to public, uh, you know, what's on television or what's in, you know, the, wins the Oscars. And it's something, there's something really sad about our recorded media where just because we have everything that's ever created by humans at our fingertips, we shouldn't judge our creative endeavors based on that. That's not, yeah. What do you think about that? I've been through such a process with that. Um, and maybe it's my age now and um, just sort of coming to terms with the whole idea of why create. Um, and, you know, when my kids were going through it also, they were, you know, they wanted to be, they all wanted to be performers of, of some sort. Um, and that question came up for them about the same time, a little earlier. My two sons were, so I have two sons and a daughter um, who are grown. And my two sons were always in a band and they were musicians and they were actors. And so it was, my daughter was a fabulous actress and singer and they all wanted to do that. And they always had that same conflict with, um, well, we're in a small town you know, we may be really good in our small town, but is this going to matter? Like, do we have a chance of taking this, of getting out of Ben Lomond? And, you know, like, what's our competition? And what does this mean? You know, everybody here tells us we're good, but are we really good? And, and being, um, what does being an artist mean? Um, and it's a, it's been a lifelong question for me. Um, and in fact, it took up until, a decade or so ago for me to finally rest in the idea of creating because you, you create uh, rather than with this outside goal of recognition. And for, for LPRT, I still, every year I have some um, kind of tinge of, uh, I want more recognition, you know, like why aren't these like all over YouTube? Like why doesn't everybody, you know, watch like the, and, and inevitably since we've been doing it, there's something that comes out like right after I've written a play or right after we've done a performance where, you know, like it's a mo like there's a movie, like, I think we did, um, what was it? Uh, I think the first time I did Cinderacula, um, hotel Transylvania came out and I had just written like, it was this, it was the season that we had just done hotel, I wrote that song to Hotel California and then the show or the movie came out like that happens all the time. And I'll always have people saying, you know, Oh, you should be, you know? And so there's always that. And like, why don't we have all these, why don't we put it on TikTok or do all the things with it? And I'm kind of, um, you know, it's hard to not feel like you've got to jump on that train and get recognition. Um, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by this problem because mm -hmm. 
when you go to the theater and you see the 75 kids, just, I mean, I get teary because it's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> why, why does there need to be anything else? Why do then people, like even intermission, oh, this should this be something different. Right. Be something changed. Like, what? why? Why would you want that? I know. We're in our town. Everybody that you go to school with and see at the grocery store, all these people are around with their kids and their and their grandkids have come. Grandparents have come to town to see it. And that is magic. Like, you don't need more than that. I know. Like, that's that's where I'm at kind of now. I just feel like I have people that come that I went to school with that I grew up with in Southern California who come every year. And now they're, they started doing it when their kids were little. Their kids are in high school and graduated and they meet like they have this pilgrimage annually to come to the show. You know, my anyway, people come every year. It's a part of what people do as a summer. It's part of our lives, you know, and our lives matter like our little <laughs> tiny lives here in Ben Lomond and my kids just for for me and it will be this way for you and for it is for a lot of people I know. Um, like my kids did, it did make a difference in, in their lives. You know, my old oh, yeah. son is a really creative person. He's a designer. Um, he was a filmmaker and designer and always had the confidence, the same confidence that you could make your art and, feel really proud of your art and um, just that confidence, you know, and the same with Henry, who, who is a musician. And for him, you know, doing this was everything he got to be, they got to be on stage being rock stars at eight and nine years old. And that was never any different. And Hazel is writing a book right now. You know, she grew up seeing that you could have a story from inception to production. So it, it's, being able to see, for for me, I think teaching or showing kids um, an idea, you know, and how an idea can become a, a project, you know, they don't get to see that all the time. Um, so yeah. participating in something that is from inception to uh, creation is really important. Um, yeah. And a lot of kids just do it because it's fun and it's their community. And like when I grew up, I grew up in a pretty big suburb of Orange County, California. And I grew up hardly ever seeing the same people in Vons in the grocery store, you know. And so being in a place where you see the same people and everybody knows like what what's the play this year and all that, like it's beautiful. I, I would it's yeah. kind of a miracle. <laughs> For me and for the kids, for the kids that do it, also they still have in high school. My kids now are middle, uh, juniors in high school, so a few years out of the program, and they still have the people that they did little people's with are, um, you know, like people that they can rely on for things. Right? They might have fights and all that stuff right. in school that happens, but there is like a community there right in school, and school can be really scary. Even you know, even high school, it's it can be scary. So having that community support kind of built in because they spent so much summers together is wonderful. You, you've been teaching for like 22 years, early childhood development at Cabrillo. This is basically teaching potential teachers. Is that the, the, your audience? Yeah. Yeah. 
what do you, what what are some thoughts about that? Tell me tell me about your, that part of your your life because I don't engage with you that very much like that. Um, so my my degrees in um, human development, and so at Cabrillo I teach ECE classes, early childhood. Um, at Monterey at CSUMB I'm teaching human development, so I've got lifespan. Um, so the whole. Are we still developing after childhood? <laughs> Apparently, apparently our brains are not done, Lyle, until mid-20s. So, woohoo! Um, you've still got some time with your, with your children. Um, yeah, it's a long road. Um, it's funny, I didn't intend to teach that. Um, I have a degree, a undergrad, an undergraduate degree in humanities. And um, I went back to school when my three kids were, were young and I knew a lot about kids and I knew a lot about psychology and I knew a lot about a little, little bit about a lot of things kind of thing. And um, turned out I knew more than I thought I did about young children and developmental psychology. So, um, but the people from Cabrillo, many of the people, my colleagues went through that program to get their AA degrees. And uh, when I was hired there, um, I was really worried that I didn't know all of the things that I needed to know about how to teach in that kind of a program. And Julie Edwards, who um, who is mentor of everyone and um, hired me, was like, you know, our best some of our best teachers have degrees in other things like you know English or whatever. You can learn how to teach anything, and that was the best advice that I ever had. Was that you can. Um, you know, you can learn how to teach. And for me, teaching adults was such a, um, I had three little kids. I was with little kids all the time. And I loved like going back to school when my kids were little, cause I could be, well, I loved academics and I loved, um, I loved being in college and mm-hmm. then teaching adults was like a natural cause I was kind of a performer and standing in front of people <laughs> and talking was really easy for me. So, um, that's sort of the back door of how I got into it. And then um, I sort of missed the boat because my youngest was about five when I started teaching college. And then I learned all these things like, oh, I, and then I tried it on her. And she was like, Mom, what are you doing? Like, why are you saying that? Just say, Hazel, I like your picture and put it on the fridge. Tell me, Hazel, it's beautiful and put it on the fridge instead of, oh, I see you're using so much blue. You know, so I learned a little bit too late for my kids. But hey, it's working great with my grandkids. Um, let's, let's, let's dive into that little example, for example, for a moment, just go ahead and teach us that bit of what were you just talking about? Instead of saying, I love your picture. Right. Uh, because kids get addicted to praise, right? And this is really something with uh, working with kids in theater instead of, Oh, I, you know, your singing is so beautiful. Um, they, they're doing it for you and they're doing it for, for praise. I mean, they could be, it's really easy to do that. We want the applause, you know, we all want that. We do. Um, and so it's important to do that, but it's also important. What do you love about it? You know, tell me, I mean, just think about going to school and getting, you know, good job written on your paper as opposed to critique, you know, what did you, what was good about it? Um, so even really young children, you know, something like I really, you know, I see you're working really hard on this picture. Um, you know, it's really nice to see you spending so much time and so much focus, you know, so find something valid to say, or instead of, oh, is that a sun? 
you know, tell me about your picture because maybe that's not what it's not. Right. Right. You know, think about what you would want. Um, even if you were singing, you know, as much, as good as it feels to have somebody tell you, oh, you're, you sound beautiful. That feels great. But, you know, how about a little more? That is a great range for you or, um, you know, something like something like that. Showing that you're listening and really paying attention to it. Um, and the, 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 the giving back feedback on the work that the person's doing, that they're doing a lot of work on it. Does that that's giving praise for hard work? I guess is kind of what that is. Correct. Okay. And I mean, it's hard for me because I'm kind of, a, oh, I love you. You're so great. You know, and uh, and I'm I mean, I love to have fun with the kids. And I think that that's just they can't I can't help um, being that person. But I do take really seriously um, the the way that we build community in the program, the way that we deal with conflict. Um, we don't tolerate uh well, we try not to tolerate or we try to be aware of um, respecting uh, kids, respecting differences, um, making space for kids to try new things. It's really scary to um, be in a situation where you want to stretch what push out of your comfort zone. And we have a lot of teenagers, a lot of um, preteens. And so that's such an awkward age. And we have a lot of middle schoolers. Um, and we also have kids who don't necessarily all go to the same school. We have some mm-hmm. homeschoolers and we have some kids from Santa Cruz and a lot of kids from the Valley, of course. But, um, you know, and the, sometimes the only time they see each other is every summer. And you know how much kids change over the school year. So they might come back with, um, a, you know, different hair color or maybe a different gender uh, identification or, you know, big drastic changes and we or voices that have changed, you know, singing wise and um, and they want to try new things. And it's really part of what we do to um, try to make it safe and not overlook um, the, the things, the potential for teasing. Um, so when, it's a lot of work. When you have the conflict and you have the teasing, what is your tactic? I mean, I know that you pull in students that have graduated a couple of years later, they actually come in as um, assistants and paid assistants that kind of help shepherd the kids, make sure things move smoothly, organize things, make sure fights don't break out, whatever it is. But what is the kind of aesthetic of a conflict occurs? What do you do about that? Um, we have a training. Pro- so we're a mentorship program. And so we employ a lot of teens and that's a, a huge part of our program. Um, so we do, <laughs> sometimes we'll have, uh, we've had, Additional people come in and train and help us train. Um, I try to spend at least a day. We'll have like an intensive training. It's been a little tricky the last couple summers because of COVID. Um, But we've done intensive trainings and workshops on um, what is the kind of the key. And this is from Cabrillo and from a lot of uh, early childhood stuff is what is the motivation or what is the good idea behind a bad behavior. So if you can always think about what might motivate a child to do something obnoxious, because as we're saying, kids can be really obnoxious, but what might be behind that? You know, if it's an insecurity, if it is jealousy, is it, um, you know, and there's always a reason. So instead of jumping right into 
accusing. And sometimes there's just a little bit of space age-wise between those mentors and the, the um, cast member. So we try to keep two years out between the mentors and the kids. And we let the kids that have just graduated work with the, our smaller kids. So we have a group called the junior players and those are preschoolers. So we don't let the 15 year olds, you know, come in and be the bosses of the 13 year olds. Cause that just doesn't work. Um, right. so we, we do a training and we have them, um, remember what it was like, um, think about the things that they did or the things that they saw and what was that motivation behind it. And we do a lot of work with them. Wow. Yeah. I would imagine that would be a really fascinating thing to be able to look back at in your twenties and thirties that you were able to two years after having the experience of being a 13 year old, whatever, be asked to look about what was like for you at that time and witness it in other kids. Yeah. A lot of, yeah, that sounds nice. Um, and sometimes, Oh, I've seen it work really well. You know, sometimes it's really hard, but I have to say, like, we've had so few behavior problems with almost 70 kids a summer. Um, I can count on, I think, on one hand in over 20 years, like the behavior problems that have been really serious. Managed. Yeah, it's yeah, it's amazing. Yeah. I would agree. I think that in general, the kids are, I mean, the biggest thing you've got is goofing off. Yeah, not listening. <laughs> yep. Yeah. You know, throwing so, throwing fruit over the fence at the park when they're not. Right. right. That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I wonder if you're quoting one of my kids doing that. It's funny. I, I'm, probably. <laughs> I'm curious about, I'm still... I mean, I'm hoping that all of these kids throughout their life sing. I think that we, I think we don't have enough collaborative singing in our world. We, I had this wonderful discussion with my sister Marina, who teaches music and went through the program when she was very young, obviously. And she was talking about how important music is and how much we get stifled from it. And this thought about like what we compare to as great are these kind of, um, these standouts of society, these, these superstars, right. That really do have amazing voices and work ethic and all those things. And because we can listen to that, not engaging in it, why we don't sing as much. I, you know, Maggie and I have a piano in our house. Maggie and I can't play piano, but we have a piano in the house because anytime there's opportunity for musical groupings to happen, we want that to happen. We want that to flourish. I don't think that happens everywhere. And I feel like that's really sad. I'm hoping that the people that have gone through your program will bring singing into their lives in general. Oh my gosh. I like, it it makes me want to cry just thinking about like one of the last weeks, I think it was like the last week of this summer. And we had all these teenagers in the green room, which for your listeners is the alley between the Ben Lomond market and Park Hall. That is the green room. And these kids were just singing nonstop. Like, song after song after song. And first they started out with songs from the musical that we just did, which was Alice's Avengers. And so there were a bunch of those songs. Then they were singing songs from Hamilton. Then they were singing songs from other musicals. I don't know. Um, But it was like, they knew so many songs and they were so like, they were having so much fun. And And they were performing. They're just singing for each other. In the alley right? for each other. And before yeah. COVID happened, you know, we have this little space called the Annex, so this little um, storefront on Mill Street, and we were doing a 
first Friday, um, we were able to do about three of them until March of 2020. And first Friday is a Friday, the first Friday of every month, art, art studios open up all throughout Santa Cruz County and you can go into different shops and stuff and see art and sometimes performances spaces. Okay. Go. So, yes. so in case, uh, you know, things, when things get back to normal, we will do this again because my idea was that we have it open for some of our families to do like a family singing, you know, just jam night for families. And we had all these kids show up like mostly teenagers, but some families with their younger kids. And it's a small space, too small to do with COVID for sure. But we were yeah. jam packed. People brought guitars and instruments and we had like 13 year olds and 14 year olds and people just sang like it was, it was so amazing. I couldn't believe how many kids wanted to do that three months in a row. Um, people came and sang and it was yeah. all ages all styles of music, mostly I would pick like three or four and send an email out and say, you know, I'd send chord charts. And so people had a, a week or so to, you know, learn practice they wanted. Yeah. yeah. People want to do it. You seem to be a pretty person, a pretty busy person being a professor at two different schools is, is teaching at um, community college and state. Is that fulfilling? Is it just work? What do you think about it? Oh, if I, for a job, um, it's great. I, I love um, my students. You know, it's kind of the same thing. Because of the subject matter, there's a lot of personal growth involved. And it's kind of the same idea as working with, with young people. I love um, helping people with self-discovery. Um, I don't love grading papers at all. Um, I'm not a super organized person. And I, I do like talking and lecturing, and my job title at CSUMB is lecturer, which is, I think that's funny. Um, and I, you know, I wish there were more hours in a day. I wish that I didn't get migraines from looking at a computer screen. Um, you know, those are some of the challenges for me. Um, I like to, you know... For a job, it's pretty great. How's that? When you're feeling not great mentally, emotionally, what do you do? Um, I'm very fortunate to do yoga with uh, Juco at East Mountain. <laughs> I heard your podcast uh, with Juco the other day, and I'm so glad that they're still there. So I've developed a yoga practice over the years that is really helpful for me. Uh, do you do that daily? Uh, most, most days, yeah. you know, when I, yeah. when I can, um, the pandemic was kind of great for me as horrible as it was for a lot of people. And because I talk for a living lecturer and, um, and I'm actually pretty introverted or at least I need a lot of time to recharge, um, being able to be home and in this, my space, um, turned out to be really great. I kind of got to reconnect with my life again. I used to travel a lot and be on my own a lot. Um, before I had kids, I um, traveled to North Africa, to Europe a few times. I lived in New York. I lived in San Francisco. I wandered around the world and did a lot of writing and performing poetry. And I was a performer, songwriter. And so I got to do some 
more creative writing. Um, again, I haven't done that for a really long time. Except for every summer. Time. Yeah. So over COVID, over that time, I got to kind of just get back to some journaling, oh. you know, like, but it takes me a long time. Like, it's not something where I can build that into a day. Like, oh, here's mm-hmm. my hour of journaling time. I'm never, I don't think I'm that kind of. You need to shift into it more rather than plan it. Okay. And is that, you brought that up with regards to your emotional state or your, how you're, yeah. you know, how you're doing did that help in some ways or? Yeah, it always, I, I think I've always felt, and I've even like, we've taught our kids that when you have dark feelings or when things are hard, art is the answer for that. So creative expression, I sometimes I have to remind myself of that, but that is always um, the, the place to go with that. And so yeah, it's interesting. So you grab, yeah. So you grab a journal, yeah, and you start to write something, or paint. Even painting is uh-huh. really fun for me. Um, or singing. Singing is great too. Yes, um, it's been a while, but um, but and that's what I mean. It takes a long time. Like I, I, it's been a long time for me to just uh, be able to go. I'm gonna sing a song and feel better. Like I kind of have to have this space and the zone and not a lot of things on the back burner and teaching is never conducive to that. Cause there's always papers to grade. There's always like the website to maintain. There's always something on the back burner. So I'm assuming that the income to your family because of little people's repertory is not something that sustains you. <laughs> and so you do your, your college jobs and your teaching, that's your primary income. What about taking a break in the summer and not doing all that work and having that time to be creative for yourself or whatever you need? Why do it? And please don't stop. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> yeah, I, it's, I feel like there's, I know this sounds really weird and here we are in Ben Lomond, but I feel like there's this um, calling that I have like to do it and I almost feel like there's Marilyn Painter, the, one of the last shows we worked on together um, was The Little Mermaid and we were up late. She was climbing a ladder and we were laughing about mermaid duty with some weird conical seashell. And she, we were playing back and forth about you're it and you're it. And I don't know. And somehow like it was like Excalibur or something. And, I picked up that mantle and I, I just feel like I have to do it. Um, and at first it felt like a consolation prize. Like I'm going to do this because I'm not really doing my art. Um, and this is like this other thing, but at least it keeps me creative and it makes me laugh and, um, it's fun. And I do have a sense of humor. Um, And then for a while, I felt like, oh, this is just diversion from my art. Um, But now I don't feel that way anymore. I feel like it's so much bigger than that. So that's why I do it. Uh, And I just need to figure out a way to um, do both. Or not. Yeah. You know, or not. (laughs) 
maybe I, maybe I already did that, you know, and um, yeah, maybe this is what I do now. If you could have like a wish to make things easier or better or whatever, what would you want? I would want to not have to work so much. Like we live, like my son just bought a house in Portland, uh, my middle son. And um, it's so much cheaper and I don't want to leave this place. Like I love where I live and it's almost impossible. I mean, it's so hard to stay here. And at the age that I am, like, I can't see not having to work like three jobs all the time to stay living here. And so I want to see changes happen in um, people being able to live. Uh, You know, it's not too much to ask um, to be able to work and live and grow old uh, in the place that you live and, and love to live. That's what I want. You know, I shouldn't have to drive to two colleges, full work full-time, work in the summer. and No one should have to do that in their later years. Or ever, really. Yeah. Because yeah. I, love, I love what I do. I mean, I love all of it. Um, I just don't want to feel like if I didn't do it, I would have to, like, live in, a, in an RV somewhere. Yeah. Or, like, move to Oklahoma. Maggie and I constantly have this thought that, well, at some point I'll stop working and then we'll move somewhere else. And then we go, well, where would that be? Yeah. <laughs> we just can't think of where, no. like, and because it's the future, it's fine. It's not scary to me, but I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever now. feel good. <laughs> it's terrible and yeah. terrible, you know? Like, I mean, Portland is okay, but my grandkids are here, like... Hawaii. My my mother-in-law lives in Hawaii. Like we could go there, but my I have like these adorable granddaughters in Scotts Valley. Like no one would go. They're going through the music program. You could spend the summer with them. Like they left. Oh, so great. I don't want to go. Yeah. Well, Janine, I partially wanted to do this podcast with you because I just appreciate what you're doing so much, and the whole community that's about that is is just so wonderful and so much more of what we need in the world. And so when you see it, you see these gems. I just, that's the thing that I want to lift up, not make this be something else, but spread this. So other communities have this too, because it's such a wonderful thing to give young kids this playground that's, and then celebrate that creativity and their joy and discovering how they can be. That's just everything. It's just so wonderful. So thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks for having me for lunch. Yes, thanks for doing non-lunch with me. <laughs> I might have real lunch. Oh, that's a good idea. I'm going to stop the recording, but stay with me for a minute while it 